Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor, Publishers Weekly, Editor of um, PW Comics World, Editor of The Fanatic, PW's twice a month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check it all out, all of this and more at publishersweekly.com slash comics. All right, but for now... We have get a chance to talk with the author of really a, a, a really interesting new book that's coming out, a, a graphic memoir that also sort of doubles as a, you know, as a political guide to New York City and New York State. Um, Sophia Warren, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. All right. Well, the, the, which I neglected to say, Sophia Warren is the author of Radical, <laughs> My Year with a Socialist Senator. This is why we're here to talk. Uh, this is, you know, uh, I'm going to compare it to another book that I read recently, and that's Eric Warner's Smart Guy uh, about um, oh, uh, uh, Barney Frank. Uh, but it's this incredible, like, you are there, uh, uh, look at grassroots political organizing uh, by a democratic socialist, no less. And that's, uh, and I'm talking about Julian Salazar who uh, out of nowhere, I'm, I'm going to say out of nowhere, but you can give us some background, you know, uh, became a state senator um, in a state, I think, that has never had a socialist senator, which, of course, you do go into on, on the, on the uh, um, a little bit into the history of that. But the book yeah. is really, uh, it, it's this great combination of cartooning uh, and its comic side, but as well as some great reportage, real journalism, and and somewhere, it beats somewhere in the middle with a really engaging uh, count uh, where you're, you're, uh, you're a character, Julia's a character, the staff, state politics, Andrew Cuomo makes an appearance. I mean, you know, it's something for everyone. Okay. I, I always start off these podcasts by talking too much. Now, <laughs> now, please, would you tell our viewers, uh, in your words, what you think, uh, what radical my year with a socialist senator is about? Oh, well, you have done a tremendous job. I feel like I can't top that. I talk um, too much. <laughs> no, but you do it well. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a book that follows my experience of following around Julia and her staff in the first year in office as a state senator for Julia um, in 2019. So it was a really exciting year in the legislature because this was the first year that in a long time that the Democrats were in control of all three of the governorship, as well as the assembly and the Senate. Um, So there was this blue wave that had happened. There was a lot of energy and excitement around this. And then the question of the year was how, can we make the most progressive bills actually happen? And in particular, there was a big push around tenants' rights in 2019. So it was this really exciting year for the legislature. It was a really exciting year for tenants' rights. Uh, Julia was in her first term and she was by far the leftmost poll of this legislature. Um, Meanwhile, I really had not been engaged in state politics at all. So for me, it was really like, jumping into the fire, trying to figure out what was going on and sort of translate this into something that made sense to me. And then in that process, I tried to turn it into this book. So that's what it's about. Well, I, you know, I want to talk more about your cartooning in particular, your drawing. I mean, once again, there's something special going on there because, well, we'll we'll talk about that, but first, and I'll get to that. 
Um, tell me about yourself. Now, I know you're a New Yorker contributor. I left out. I have a. I had a list of them. I'm, I, I, I call myself a host, but I kind of make this up as I go along. <laughs> you're a New Yorker contributor. Um, you've contributed to what? MoMA Magazine, Narrative Magazine, Catapult. Uh, I think you've got other books, too. But tell us about yourself. What, what, where did cartooning start for you? Yeah, I'm also going to apologize. I'm in a flight path. So if you hear a bunch of flight oh. noise, I apologize. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. I, so this is my first book. And in fact, it's the it's the first project I've done that's longer than 10 pages. So it was really quite a departure wow. for me. Uh, a whole new venture, lots to learn just on that front of how sure. to construct a narrative this long, especially coming from nonfiction and, and trying to transcribe, you know, real things that happen, not just inventing things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I've been a professional cartoonist for a few years. And before that, I was working in animation. I still do. Um, my parents are both artists. They met at art school. My mom was my dad's RA. Um, so a fair amount of art in the family. But I had gone to film school. I went to Wesleyan. Um studied film and psychology. And for a while there, I thought that I wanted to work in film. So I had initially kind of was, was feeling my way out through art departments, building sets and that kind of thing. Um, it was not, it was not for me. It turned out, <laughs> especially on like the, the, the very bottom entry level positions in art departments. It's a lot of like keeping track of things and buying things, both of which I'm not particularly good at. Um, so the animation kind of came out of that. It's something that mm-hmm. came from an interest in film and I was kind of playing around and managed to, to start doing work just because of people I knew that kind of took a chance on me initially. Um, so it's been, it's been sort of a winding. So you switched to cartoony for, for money and power. Is that it? That's right. I'm hoping to become a cartoon millionaire any day now. <laughs> you'll, be the, you'll be the first. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe not. But in, in any event, but, but yeah, but why cartooning? I mean, animation obviously has its own, you know, allure. Um, why cartooning? Yeah. It's like one honestly, obstacle after another. <laughs> I It honestly suits me so much better. I think part of it is that animation... I love it. And there's, there's so much that I can engage with, but honestly, like it's so meticulous. (laughs) And I think it's, it's not that cartooning isn't in in its own way. It is, you have to be quite specific. Um, But at least you only have to draw the exciting things. You have a lot more freedom in what you're choosing to draw. Whereas with animation, you know, you're in the kind of animation I was doing in particular, you're drawing every frame. Right. So, um, and you have to get it right, or you can tell. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it comes obvious. Well, then, yeah. very quickly, then, uh, how'd you get? In, how'd you get a foot in the door to New York? Or that that you know, that's a, obviously a legendary process. I've heard people that you know submitted cartoons for years before they got it. Yeah, I was I was really lucky. I started submitting right as uh, Emma Allen, who's the current mm-hmm. cartoon editor, had just started. I think that same year. Um, And I had a friend from college who had been submitting. So I had some sense of how that process worked. So luckily I had a little bit of insight about what to do and and how to format it and stuff like that. So that was in 2017. Um, And I started submitting thinking that I would use it kind of as practice 
and apply for an MFA in animation. That was like my plan. Um, so you did a New Yorker has just like, you know, just to set yourself up for something better down the road. Well, I just figured it was like a good deadline to have every week to sure. try and come up with cartoons. Um, <laughs> and I was able to start um, getting them published sooner than I was expecting. So I, I didn't end up going to school. That's kind of how that happened. All right. Well, well, good for you. Yeah, that we're, we're happy that you decided um, to keep going this way. All right. Well, let's get to radical. OK, uh, 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 can you set us how? Well, I want you to uh, what's really great is how you got you convinced Salazar and her team to let you do this, which is basically follow them around. Uh, yeah. Highly unusual. But I'm curious, how did you who is your agent? How did you set how did you get the book deal? Can I ask that really quickly? Yeah, um, it came later. I started the project first. Uh-huh. Um, okay. And and so it, it started just, I emailed the account. I think it was like info at salazarforsenate.com. I just sent them an email um, saying, I'm a cartoonist. I live in the area. It would be really cool to follow you around. This is in the book. Um, yes. And I got an email back like within a few hours and they were like, that sounds great. <laughs> Let's meet up. So it was it was surprisingly easy. I was not expecting that level <laughs> of simplicity there. Um, but I didn't actually start talking to agents until until I think the spring of that year of 2019. So I had already been following the team around for a couple of months and had put it together into a, a rough proposal form. Um, it's a long process. I had never, I had no experience working with agents or publishing. So the whole thing felt very stressful and high stakes to me, but luckily it worked out. <laughs> well, it's a long book. I mean, it's a, a, a really significant process and it's really, uh, you know, you really put together an amazing um, record of, you know, the ups, the downs, uh, and just speaking to your ability to, uh, get approval uh how likely is it that a normal democratic politician would have given you this kind of access yeah i can't answer it just because this is the only Only what you've done (laughs) i you know it was truly just the one email but but i've definitely my opinion is that it would be a lot harder most of the time i think the philosophy of this office was one of of transparency that that's really a, a central tenet to their political understanding and their beliefs. And so that means that people like me who are not affiliated, we're just basically coming in off the street, should have as much access to this information and how it works as the senior team members. Um, so so that was that was great. And there was really never any, there was really never any pushback at any point from anyone on the team about me being there. Well, as we as we go into this discussion, I mean that what I'll, I think I'll take a phrase from the book, radical transparency, um, uh, you know, uh, is both, uh, you know, a great strength and becomes a, uh, something of a, a challenge when you get to Albany. We, we'll talk about that, too, for the, for the staffers and for Julia. But tell yeah. us about Julia Salazar. Tell us about the first time you met her. And um, and, and and after that, maybe I want to talk a little bit about your drawing, because there's something about your drawing that works and makes this book really work really well. Obviously, as a cartoonist, you would want that to happen. But I have my thoughts on why it happened. And I'll see what you oh, think. Wow. So I, <laughs> tell us about Julius. Now, Ju- uh, Julia, now, 
um, I am curious about the controversy around your background, but uh, yeah, I'll leave it up to you. We can do like you do in the book. We can wait till the end of the podcast and talk about that if you want. But maybe you okay. can allude to to some of the stuff. But yeah, how was okay. it? Tell tell us about your first meeting with her. Yeah, so I didn't know her. I didn't know her at all. I had um, certainly because I was living in her district and her campaign for reasons we will talk about. The campaign was was very visible, way more than I would have expected for a state Senate rate, which is state Senate race, which is not a particularly juicy area generally politically, but um, there was a lot of grassroots energy from the DSA members and from various, the Democratic Socialists of America and other uh, nonprofit organizations, community-based organizations, a lot, a lot of grassroots canvassing, especially coming off the heels of AOC's victory, which had happened in June and Julia's race was in September. Um, And there was also a lot of national media attention, right, around who is Julia Salazar and what is her background and how genuine is she? So a lot of skepticism um, about her character. Mm -hmm. And all of this was part of this picture of this person who is my age and live nearby. I knew people who knew her. So I, there was a lot of sort you went of to like, the same bars. Went to the same bars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there was like way more than any other politician. We felt close. We're kind of like, we're similar heights, you know, like it was, it was easier for me to identify with her. And at the same time, there was this, you know, who is she kind of energy. Um, my first experience with her was pretty consistent with the rest of them, which is that she's, she's, pretty laid back and very, you know, very much not an attention seeker. Um, I think as a subject of a book, that was an interesting Mm -hmm. thing for me because she was not the person that was volunteering lots of information to me. I had to really ask her questions. Um, She was always very forthcoming. Um, I think, I mean, I I get you in her background just a little bit for our our listeners. I mean, she's a first time, I mean, she was an activist, but this was a real leap. Uh, to become essentially a professional politician. Yeah, yeah. So she had been a community organizer and had worked in prior to being a professional organizer, which is what she'd been doing for the two years before the race. Mm -hmm. Um, She'd also been doing fellowships and and extensively in her free time had been organizing um, around uh, mass incarceration and police reform and justice, um, among other things. Mm Um, criminalization of sex workers was that an issue yeah yeah um so so certainly a, a very strong background in organizing but the politics part was yeah you come in contact a lot I mean it was not it's not a total departure just because there's so much conversation between those two things it's, it's something that comes up in the book about what is the relationship between organizers and advocates and the actual legislators and there can be quite a lot of of relationship there. Um, some of it antagonistic, but certainly not all of it. Um, but for sure, it was it was her first time running for office. A lot of the staff too had, some of them had been in government before, but a number of them hadn't. So a lot of new energy coming in, a lot of things to learn. So what were, uh, there's, there's a certain number of issues that really framed her campaign throughout the book, but I mean, there, there are many more. But can you give us a little insight into her district and really how what the book is about, really about housing issues, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So maybe you can yeah. just mention that a little bit. 
Yeah, so North Brooklyn is a very democratic district for one thing. Um, I don't think it's an accident that she's the most, she was the leftmost uh, senator in the state Senate that year. Um, but it's a pretty diverse district. There's a lot of, um, there's Williamsburg and Bushwick. These are two areas that are very gentrified um, and increasingly so. A lot of development happening. Um but it also encompasses other districts that are more working class. A lot of diversity going on in the area. Um, it was it was one of the tricky parts of the book to figure out. I think my initial impression going into this was like, okay, this is going to be a story about the tenants' rights bill, and all of our energy all year long will be about tracking this one bill. But once I actually started following the team around, of course, that's not how state government works. In fact, that issue, though it was a through line throughout the year, it was not a top priority the entire time, right? Like people working in the district office are dealing with very much like on the ground day-to-day things. A lot of that has to do with housing, but it's not on this legislative level. It's like people calling into the office because they're about to be evicted or having issues with shelters or trying to get on a waiting list for public housing or whatever. Um, among many other kind of day-to-day fires. So there's that element to it. There's a lot happening in the district that's not housing, right? Um, So for me, it was figuring out how to tease out those through lines without losing a narrative arc of this legislative push. Um, So the district does appear, but, and it's, and it's very much the setting of this, but it also is in Albany. It also is statewide legislation happening. Sure. sure. Well, yeah, well, it, well, this is one thing you, you, I mean, you've written a book that's very complicated in the one, on the one hand, because, well, government is complicated and yeah. advocating for people is complicated because the issues are complicated. Uh, yeah. But you know, the, you know, the book is lively, it's brisk, it's funny. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's got a certain tension. I mean, we know how it turns out, but you know, it's still, will they make it in the end This plucky, band of democratic socialists. Um, but uh, a key element, I mean, I don't, I can't even imagine how you plotted this all out. Um, uh, but though I'm going to ask you, uh, but I, but um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the staff, but before I get to that, I want to talk about your drawing because I think your drawing is really key and important surprise, surprise for a cartoonist, but you know, you have a, you know, you've got a very uh, um, pared down, uh, gestural cartooning style, very economic, and yet you're you're you, you've got a knack for you know facial expressions when you need them for you know for more detailed. You've got a knack, I think, for how the body uh, sits on the page. Uh, I, absolutely, um, all of them. You know, Salazar too. Uh, I mean, it's, it works. You 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 manage to identify people in as few lines as possible. Um, uh, and you know, you know, you're funny and goofy too, even though, you know, we're, we're talking about people who are working for people's lives. And this is a great combination. It makes, this is one reason why I'm comparing you to the Orner book, because I thought he was able to do that really well, though. I think he has a much more detailed cartooning style than you, but yours, it works. It's funny. It's fun. Um, can you talk about that? I mean, do you design characters when you're doing a nonfiction book? Is there such a, can you call it character design? Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. I'm, I know I like, talk too much, but I can't help it. I'm, <laughs> talk more. That was great. Like, pumped me up. Um, no, it was, yeah, I think that the humor element 
is I'll talk about that in a minute because it's part of the drawing, but I also think it's part of the overall structure. Um, I didn't, I did do character designs, but I will say that it was, it was tricky because yeah, they had to be sort of caricatures, right? They had to speak yeah. to the essence of the person. And this is such a, it is such a complicated book in that there's, though, though Julia is on the cover and I certainly think that she, I think of her as being the, the chief subject of the book. Though I, I also might argue that my character is, is equally a part of that that project of, of being sure. a character. Um, but there are all these other characters. And to me, it was really important from the beginning. And this is something that I think really aligned with the staff's vision of the office that this, I didn't want to write like a biography of Julia and I didn't want to write a book that was just about her. I wanted it to be about this broader experience, which means that it has to be kind of decentralized into lots of different people sure. <laughs> who all have be recognizable as they come up, right? And certainly some people have more prominence than others just because of the way that the narrative works. Um, but yeah, a lot of the design for me was about how do I make clear who these people are in as few lines as possible um, without having to like keep referring to a, you know, a cheat sheet or using yeah. names a lot. Um, some of that just has to do with the style that's developed for me over the course of animating and drawing cartoons, which is, I think, a an extreme practice in economy as far as drawing goes, right? Like, well, your, your, your style has changed a little bit. I mean, some of the older ones seem there's a little more detail. Yeah. Obviously, is a little different, but yeah. still, that's a it's still a big switch, it would seem to me, when you're used to drawing one way to, to switch to another. Yeah. I mean, and I love drawing details. So sometimes it's it's um it's something I try and keep in mind. Because I can, I, so sometimes I look at my early cartoons and I'm like, oh, what were you doing? There's just so <laughs> unnecessary lines here. Um, but I think it comes through in the book just because it it keeps it keeps the focus primarily on the things that are relevant to the narrative. And then to just return quickly to the the humor aspect, um, I love drawing gesture. <laughs> I think a lot of a lot of the way that these are characterized, the people are characterized, is less about their features and more about the ways that people stand yes. um, and, you know, the way that they talk um, and, and the way that they gesture. And those are things that I just kind of inherently love to observe. And as I was following people around, I was doing a ton of sketching and, and it's where my eye goes. So those are the things that I was, I was keeping in mind and looking at. Um, and then the humor aspect, I mean, I am not, and I'm likely to never be an expert on politics. You know, I'm a, I was a learner. I think I've learned a lot. Um, I think that I, I took great care to do a lot of research and be informed and make this book as accurate as possible. But the strength to the extent that I have one in telling this story is in telling a story, right? Is mm -hmm. in making it something that you learn by way of this narrative and by way of caring about these characters and the things that they care about that I think I can do way more than I can write a textbook about state government. Um, so, so that was kind of the, that's where I was, that's what I was thinking about as I was constructing both the designs and the story. Well, <clears throat> I think very early on in the book, you mentioned, uh, uh, the or this maybe this is just my characters. I have all these notes here about book the the humanity and the down to earthness of 
Salazar. I mean, that yeah. comes through throughout the book. I mean, uh, there is this notion that that your character uh, offers for us and that you get when you read your book is that, you know, well, you know, this politician, she's inspirational, but, you know, she's kind of, you know, as screwed up as I am. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, she's late. She's nervous. Uh, you know, I think some of the male staffers are really getting on her nerves uh, after a while. Um, uh, and the same thing to the staff. I mean, they're like, I, I count very quickly about 10 staffers. Obviously, Boris, the chief of staff. Uh, early on in the book, we meet Gabby, who does the social media stuff, the council mark. Um, uh, these characters are they're 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 more than your caricatures of them. And as the book go as we go through the book, the outcomes of their experience are is very critical too. I think I'm talking too much. Would you like to talk <laughs> about the staff a little bit more? Because there's they well you yeah. just did really, but it, they're really instrumental to this story because it's a team. It's a team and they're people. And I, I think part of what I'm so grateful about in this experience is that yeah I mean they're human I don't think of I, like you know yeah Julia got nervous like I there's a scene in the book I went up to an interview with her I thought she looked poised we talked about it afterwards and she was yeah. like I was so nervous you know she's not someone who loves public speaking that was a thing that she had to prepare for as would I were I in her position you know there were just things about spending time with them and yeah I mean it's it was a group of people who cared very deeply and fought very hard for the things that they believed in. And they messed up. They got on each other's nerves, you know, like they disagreed. They had different opinions about things like in the way that inevitably this is a part of any group of people working towards anything. They were very human. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and the part that I'm really grateful about is that there was never any dispute that that shouldn't be in the book. And in yeah. fact, I, I had, you know, I tried to be as clear as possible with everyone about what this project was. I don't think that anyone suspected I was like not on the same team, but I was skeptical, especially in the beginning about how this would work. I didn't know. Um, I didn't have, I didn't have a, a formed opinion yet. So the fact that it can be in the book that they get upset, that they're nervous, that they're just like you, that they're late, all of those things was really vital to me. And it's part of what made me feel so inspired by the year. So I hope that that comes through. It, it, it definitely comes through. I mean, they, I mean, I mean, throughout the course of this book, I mean, some staffers are dealing with mental, mental illness, you know, um, they're dealing with, uh, you know, well, the PTSD, I guess, from being in, um, you know, grassroots for reals, you know, political organizing. Um, um, but but uh, let's let's talk. Well, I mean, I wanted to I, I don't want to get caught up in the details because there's so many of the characters that are interesting. You know, um, Ramon, uh, who, you know, yeah, talks very deeply later on in the book, uh, mm -hmm. the various organizers. But uh, uh, part of what this book is about, of course, is you're following uh, the state senator around uh, and you're you're traveling to Albany all the time. And um, and one of the things I think it happens on page 97, according to my notes, uh, there's the acknowledgement that Albany is a cesspool. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about um, 
Well, tell, well remind us a little bit about uh, Julia Salazar's reception, Julia Salazar and her team's reception in Albany. Yeah, it was. So she was coming into a state, state Senate that was newly Democratic, um, which is, by the way, not something that, that was on my radar prior to this project. I did not know that there was, I just kind of assumed that New York is a very blue state. In fact, the Senate had been in, in Republican control in various forms for the, the bulk of the last century, um, and certainly for much of the last few years. Um, so it was it was a new thing that they had the majority in the Senate, and it meant that there was she was not alone in being a progressive. There were a lot of new progressives coming in who had been just elected, either unseating. Republicans or unseating Democrats who had been more centrist. There was a whole block of Democrats that had been voting with Republicans for a number of years and a number of them were ousted. So it was a really exciting moment um, in general. But what I think is so interesting about this year is that all of the fighting was internecine, right? It was, it was Democrats versus Democrats versus Democrats. And within that, it wasn't this like large oppositional force of Republicans trying to crush everything and the underdogs trying to make it work. It was much more nuanced than that because broadly speaking, they were all in the same party. They had control. Um, and so the things that happened had to do more with how much we can push for and how far and how urgently um, all of those things, which. There were, there were typically clashes between, you know, the right and the left factions within the state democratic uh, party. Uh, yeah, and particularly from you know a uh, a a really um, hustling group of lefty um, organizers from New York City, yeah. uh, who didn't seem to hesitate to, uh, to threaten people with pri- getting primaried if they like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, there are a lot, a lot of people coming in with uh, experience being agitators and being advocates mm-hmm. outside of the legislature carried that in both in Julia's office and in other offices. Um, And they had this big mandate because the tenant movement had had a lot to do with how these new legislators had come to be elected, right? And so the the force of that movement was really felt and their needs were really being spoken to um, in the legislature. And yeah, legislature. So it caused caused friction, you know, (laughs) that the idea of, this Senate, this the particular history of the New York State Senate and the factions within the Democratic Party um, meant that there was a lot of emphasis in union, in, in unity in the party and yes. conference, um, that this was something that the, the, the leaders really wanted to emphasize. Um, but inevitably, there were people with different ideas about how this legislation should work. And so that at various points, that tension is really felt and comes comes to the fore. And of course, a factor in all of this, of course, is is um, uh, campaign contributions, uh, um, uh, special interests, um, uh, yeah. big money, real yeah. estate developers, particularly in a obviously in a, it was state senator that's really focusing on and back and others also focusing on housing on tenant rights and the, how was it? The housing stability. And I don't know what the name of the bill is that will come up yes. later in this story, the housing stability and tenant protection bill. 
right. uh, no. which is uh, almost Shakespearean in the uh, <laughs> in the the surus that went on around it and the backs and forths. Um, but this is also what I want to ask you about. You know, a, a working cartoonist slash reporter. You're, you know, one of the things the book does is highlight how a state senator works. And, you know, yeah, most of us, our eyes are going to glaze over. You know, it's long days in meetings. It's sitting in, in meetings where you don't have power, especially, uh, and you see, you know, your life work being kind of, you know, handed out like a chip. Uh, it's uh, having your staff maybe be a little more radical and confrontational than you are. It's all of this stuff. How do you keep track of this? What, what what was your working process for getting material that you could later turn into a book? Very often during the book, it says you are drawing or whatever. But so did you do drawings, sketches for the book, you know, while you're sitting in an eight hour meeting or for <laughs> either, either with the staff or in Albany? Yeah, I, I certainly I went to a lot of meetings <laughs> um, and <laughs> a lot that, of, uh, Oscar Wilde's definition of socialism. What? Too many meetings? Uh, something yeah. something like that. Government as well. Just yes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I would say a lot of the year was sitting in on meetings um, or or doing interviews with the staff. I tried to pretty regularly check in one on one as much as possible. Um, with with the staff members and just keep an eye on that. Um, and yeah, as much as possible, I, I was recording audio and I was keeping notes, but I was also sketching a lot. None of those sketches are in the book exactly, though certainly I think it was more useful for me, frankly, to just kind of have something to do sometimes <laughs> with the sketching. But it also, I think that I hope that it's something you can feel in the gestures, the gestures feeling specific, the characterization, um, the settings. I think a lot of my memories of those places is informed by drawing them. So kind of the visual aspect of that. Um, so you ultimately kind of got the book deal and just sat down and did it. You, you, you weren't really, draw- well, I mean, I'm sure you must have used the material in some way. I for sure did. Yeah, I, I was, um, you know, using pretty extensively the audio recordings and and through the sketches and, you know, writing up all the notes that I'd taken. I was also at the end of every day, I would write up more general notes. Mm -hmm. So if there was anything that I hadn't recorded or hadn't taken notes of in in the act of of being there, um, I would try and keep track of it that way. Um, But yeah, I mean, the book came together as a narrative afterwards. I certainly was thinking about it the whole time that I was doing this project, I knew that it would be a book. So that was definitely informing where I went and how I recorded it and all of those things. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was, it was stressful. I didn't, I did not know if it was going to be a book for most of the time that I was following it around just in terms of if anyone would be interested in it. Um, so, so yeah, it was, it was a long process. Um, well, one of the things the thing also does, and maybe, maybe you can talk about this a little bit. I mean, this isn't necessarily about cartooning or anything, but it, it's kind of about what you were able to witness in government working. And I, I love this business where I think it was Ramon is talking to you in a bar about the difference between organizing, mobilizing, and deep organizing. Yeah. So w- w- would you care to talk a little bit about that? And it's, and I should say it's much more interesting 
uh, in a cartoon, but I, I do think it's, it's a kind of a key element in uh, in the book. Yeah, thank and you for asking. I love I love that scene because I I loved that conversation. Um, yeah, Ramon, who is one of the organizers in the book, so his role in the office has to do with with connecting to various community based organizations and people in the district. Um, he kind of gives a primer at a certain point in the book. I think it's somewhere in the middle about. Um, the author that he's citing is called Jane McAlevey. She's an organizer um, talking about distinctions of, of basically levels of engagement and, and schools of thought around organizing. So he talks about how mobilizing is when you get in touch with people who are, he uses the example of uh, let's say a principal is, is trying to, is not actively funding an education system enough. And so a mobilizing effort would say professional organizers would kind of tap people in an area for whom education is relevant. So they would go to teachers unions and try and get teachers. They would go to uh, churches of parents, try and talk to people in this neighborhood and get them to show up to a protest where they would protest the mayor and advocate for more school funding. He talks about that being mobilizing because these people show up because you ask them to, and then they sort of dissipate because this action is completed. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe they'll show up again if you ask them, but there's no fundamental change in their engagement with this process. Um, And that's the distinction between mobilizing and deep organizing where people are given the tools Mm -hmm. of their own liberation, right? So they're much more in control. They're given information and they're given tools. And then people go off and advocate for themselves. Um, It's one of my favorite parts of the book because I think it's, it's, it's the part that goes beyond governmental engagement, right? Like Mm -hmm. I would say most of us are unlikely to run for office though. Maybe I'm wrong and that would be great. But, but the ways that we engage with, with legislation for the most part are a little more abstract. We, we, we have, different things that are relevant to our lives and understanding how to organize around them and uh, be a part of a community and a collective action towards things is something that's, that feels very relevant to all of the readers of this book and not just the people who are interested in running for office. So that's that. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 the, the whole thing about deep organizing, I think at least as I read it, you know, it's like, you know, kind of teaching people, I guess, uh, the bureaucratic tricks about addressing the biggest challenges you're going to face probably from city government and and your environment so that they can carry on whether you're there or not. I mean, that seemed to be a big theme in the part of the book too, among the organizers, what happens if we're not around or, you know, there's a scandal or whatever. Um, Yeah. I think the idea is, is, is decentralizing. And this is broadly across the book, not just in this section is, is, the way that this political philosophy of of decentralizing the power of giving power to all and what does that actually mean and what does it look like and it's hard right yeah. because i think you know naturally speaking as, just as an example you know there was this all, all this fascination around julia salazar and her character right who is she who is this person we just kind of fundamentally want people understandably to follow um but the idea being that this is part of a movement. And so it's not just about 
the strength or lack thereof of any given individual in, in their actions and in following through, but it's about accountability within a broader movement that speaks to a much larger group of people. Um, so that informed both the office and the organizers that are also part of the book. For sure. But, and still, Julia, Julia Salazar is in her own sort of uh, low-key, soft-spoken way, a, a relentlessly charismatic figure, not necessarily by her speeches, but his, just in her sheer doggedness um, uh, to do what needs to be done methodically uh, to affect government. Uh, it, it's really kind of amazing. And Various characters talk about it. And even you talk about it when you talk with her. Um, mm-hmm. Just she goes to everything. I mean, she's, you know, she's not very big, <laughs> but she her her energy and her ability to focus just seems rather extraordinary. Um, and it's it, 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 so there I guess there's always going to be some room for the charismatic the figure in a, in an organizational structure. And she seems to have it in her own low key way. Yeah. Oh, and, and you have to, right. I mean, we have to have people. That's what we care about. That's what we think about it. Ju- I think it just means it's not exclusively linked. The success or failure of a movement sure. is not exclusively linked to a charismatic figure, but no, I mean, I, another thing that was, there were many things about this that, that <laughs> left a great impression on me, but, but another way that I identified with, Julia is that she's an introvert. <laughs> I think it was it was really powerful for me to see a different style of leadership that I, you know, I followed her for a year and I found her a tremendously effective legislature legislator because she likes to listen. She's a policy wonk, you know. Mm-hmm. She really what what she lives for is to really get into the weeds and think about these things very deeply. Um, I can't tell you how many meetings I sat in on with her where at the end of the meeting, there was just this profound gratitude for her capacity to listen. She really has that. That's just a great strength of hers. And and it carried through into the team as well, that this was something really structuring the way that they interacted with their community was what do people need? Let's hear them first. And how can we help them rather than this is about me? Um, well, I love there's this one phrase in the book. I love seeing the district through the eyes of the staff. And and uh, that really comes through really strongly because this book is really, you know, it's a big book, folks. It's 320 some pages. So she's got the space to, to take little off ramps to what's <laughs> happening in the union. I mean, there's a whole other, what would you haven't even talked about? The range of organizations that uh, her staff is able to bring the bear put a little pressure or sometimes putting pressure whether the staff wanted them to or not on state legislatures. I mean, these trips yeah. to um, uh, the lobbying trips to Albany, the bus trips, this is all part of this, this uh, cartoon journey as well. But this is a question I wanted to ask because you had so such incredible access. I mean, often we see this with, you know, uh, prose reporters, you know, for maybe a bigger poli- uh, political campaigns. But do you think because of the generational age demographic that they were a little more open to a cartoonist? Than an older politician might've been. Yeah. Maybe. 
I will say, I don't know how much, <laughs> uh, when I first, <laughs> when I first met a lot of the staff, the chief of staff, Boris sent an email out to everyone to say, Sophia is going to be coming with us on the staff retreat. Um, and he introduced me to the staff as an anime narrator, <laughs> which I think oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Which I think just speaks to the fact that everyone was receptive of me being there. I don't know that they exactly knew what I was up to or totally All right, well, there you go. <laughs> with the comics part of it. But, um, but no, I think there was a general understanding of, and this is, this is something that I believe in that comics are, are just a really great medium for communication because they're they're so accessible um, because they're they're not necessarily as I think comics can be anything, but one thing they can be is to communicate information through narrative. And because there's this opportunity to show and tell that you have this interplay there that makes things uh, access people who might not otherwise get that information through just like a block of text, right? Sure, sure. All right, so we're, well, we've got a little more time. Let's see. Well. It, it, at one point in the book, I think, uh, what is it, Boris comes to you because he's worried about whether there'll be a happy ending, um, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, uh, you know, life, unlike art sometimes, you know, doesn't, you know, <laughs> doesn't end the way you want it to um, or sequences of life. But in some cases, this book did have a happy ending legislatively. Would you care to talk a little bit about this, the the uh, the good cause eviction even though it, you know, didn't show up the right necessarily, but still, this was a huge victory. Yeah, and so the 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 book follows this legislative package, which is the the tenants' rights bill, which is a, a package of bills, and the the leftmost of those bills is Julia's bill, which is called Good Cause Eviction, um, which has to do with tenants who are not already under rent stabilization and rent control in New York giving various uh, rights to them against being evicted without cause. Um, There is a lot that happens with that package of legislation that's super positive. A lot of bills, I hope this isn't too much of a spoiler and that the story is interesting, even knowing this, that um, a lot of those bills do pass in forms that people are pretty happy about in the tenants' rights movement. Good cause, however, is still up it's still in the legislature as we speak. Yeah. It did not pass. Um, and this is timely because there is very much a new push for this year's legislative session to try and get good cause back on the floor um, and get passed. So it's a it's a real mixed bag. And that, that conversation is one that's really closely felt, the one with Boris, for me, because, you know, I spent a lot of time with these folks. We, we had, you know, close relationships with each other and and the fact that Boris was thinking about how this would impact my book <laughs> um, <laughs> was was something that that was moving to me you know that um, and and I think the fact that that bill didn't pass this is what the conversation is about I, I did not think at any point that it would make or break the book it would make various narrative challenges for me but the primary question was how, you know, will this bill pass? Not what happens to my story. So <laughs> um, I think it just, it just speaks to the the nature of kind of embedding with a team and getting to know each other really well. And it speaks to also, I think the, com- the complexity of the process, where is even the, the big supporters of good cause also knew, I mean, there's, there's, it's horse trading, right? There's, 
you're, you know, you're going to get something, but you're going to lose something. And uh, in some way, that's the way this process played out. And you depicted it quite well. And you predicted both the, the highs of the joys and, you know, the, the, the qualified disappointment, knowing that, you know, the process continues, as you just told us, um, this still isn't going away. Yeah. Um, uh, so, wow. Um, one thing, I guess, at, we, at this point, I mean, uh, at the end of the book, you also say, well, there's a lot of stuff about Julia Salazar's background, but you know what, I've, I've been like following her around for a year, so I'm not that worried about it. So do you, I don't want you to go into detail, but I mean, what were the, what were some of the things that people were uh, objecting to in her background? Yeah, in her first campaign, there was this real, I think, especially after uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's win, there was a lot on her campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was, let's see, there was an article about how working class her background actually was, Mm -hmm. whether or not she was really an immigrant, which her campaign materials had said at one point. Um, The fact that she was a Republican during college and and in her youth, pretty outspokenly. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a lot of, there was a lot of like, who is this person and and why should we trust her? Um, And which I, which I understand. I I think she was also a young, um, a really young candidate. And so a lot of these things felt very close because they just, you know, college was a few years away for Julia. Um, I, I hope that the book, I, I tried not to make this book like, how does Sophia feel about Julia? I tried to show <laughs> what I actually, what I actually experienced, which was seeing her as a legislature, as a legislator and seeing her do this work for a year. Um, and I certainly am not the mouthpiece to respond to those things. People are, people are welcome to ask her. Um, but I will say that as a, as someone following her around, I just, I, came to really trust her, her work as a Senator. Um, and, and that she was sincere, very genuine and worked very hard at it. Um, so, yeah. 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 And, and, and I mean, one thing that comes through in this book is, is how hard everyone works, how, how, how committed everyone is, how focused they are on their constituents and and the promises they make to their constituencies. I mean, you you cover that that well. And 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 I hope everybody who's listening to this doesn't really you know think that this is just sort of like you know uh, how do I describe it? I mean, in the book, it's a lively, sometimes a little confusing, but but always kind of brisk and and you know both amusing and serious at the same time. I mean, you you strike a great balance once again because of the nature of your drawings. So, um, uh, but most importantly, it really is a great look at New York, the city that we love, and uh, and its relationship to Albany, uh, yeah. and and it's a great record of uh, you know a, a lot of people that you know you feel good about them being in the world. <laughs> I certainly do. <laughs> yeah, I, I also hope that that um, I think you know this is a, a moment when state legislatures are really on people's minds. I mean, there's, there's a lot happening, not just in New York, but as far as abortion rights and, and LGBTQ, there's a ton of, of legislation passing at this level. And, and I 
hope that the book is not only relevant to New York. I hope that people in other states also find relevance to their experience. So great. So what, when you finished the book, what did you do? Did you, you, did you like go, (laughs) did you call Julia? Did you like just, you know, just oh run around the room and jump up and down. Did you high five your roommate? What, the, <laughs> what what was it like when you? I mean, this is uh, you know kind of magnum opus, you know, uh, for anybody. It was, yeah, it was. So I really I felt I haven't done this before. So I, I felt <laughs> you know I hadn't really been in a lot of touch with the team since I finished following them around because I felt like I'm writing this book about them and and I'm writing an independent of them, and so I felt. Like I needed there to be some, some remove there. So it's weird. It's weird to not call Julia, but I didn't, she didn't see it. for quite a while. Um, I was, I was pretty feverishly working towards the deadline with inking. It had been pretty full force. So I just was so excited to leave my apartment. <laughs> yes. I just, Understandable. I was like, during quarantine, um, I think I went out to dinner with with some friends, and then and then went and met up with some people and had a drink to celebrate. Um, well, but I, yeah, enough celebration. <laughs> Are you doing publicity and stuff? Is that schedule? Uh, I mean, other than this, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, we're gonna have a book launch. It's on June sixteenth, and it's at the Strand. Oh, uh, and I'll be, I'll be in conversation with Julia, so we'll get a different perspective on the things that happened. Fabulous. Um, hoping to set up some other events soon in North Brooklyn in the district. And then um, I will be doing a few comics festivals and ALA, I think, which is the library association's conference. Cool. So yeah, hoping to get it out there. Well, Sophia, it's an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Uh, Me and too. A pleasure to read your book. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Thank you. Oh, for good. Your- good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. The book is Radical, My Year with a Socialist Senator. And I'm adding to the, to your subtitle and her fascinating staff. Um, uh, Sophia, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Thank you, Calvin.